0: Morning, family. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. You guys look awesome. You sing awesome. It was great for me to be able to sit back and, and sing with you this morning. Um, so I praise God for that. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to get right to work this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a hard-backed black one nearby. Uh, If you don't own one that's our gift to you, please take it um, with our great affection. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. We're going to read that together. I'm going to invite you to read that out loud with me this morning. And when we get to the end of verse 22, I will say that this is the word of the Lord and invite you to say thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. We're going to focus this morning on verse 17 and 18. And so I want to read that again for you just briefly. Verse 17, it says, And he, he being Christ, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And the part that I really want to focus in on this morning, that we're going to deal with that whole thought, is that part that says, And he came and preached, peace. He came and preached peace. What does it mean? How, how did Christ preach peace? That's what we're going to deal with today. And on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, I don't know that there's a better thing that we could be talking about than the fact that Christ himself came and he preached peace. The reason for that is because the very reason that we need peace to be preached to us is because whether you realize it or not, the fall was initiated by a preaching. The fall was initiated by a preaching, but it was a false teaching that was preached in the garden by the serpent. One of the first sermons that we hear in the Bible is a false teaching by the serpent to Eve in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does he preach? The serpent comes and he preaches a false teaching when he says, God did not surely say, He did not surely say that you would die. Right? The serpent comes and he he preaches this this false gospel. Gospel means good news and it was a, a false telling. It was alternative facts. Where he came and he tried to preach a message to Eve that the good and pure way of God that she and Adam were experiencing was not the ultimate life that they could have, but rather, in his estimation to her, there was a good and better way, a way where they could be equal with God, knowing both good and evil. And it was in hearing and receiving this false message that Adam and Eve both entered into sin, and sin became a part of who we are as human beings. And the peace of God, the shalom, that full, encompassing peace, both of God and from God and with God, that Adam and Eve were experiencing in the garden, was broken. Shalom was broken. And peace of God, from God, and with God was separated from mankind. And that is the peace that Jesus himself came to be for us. But in order for us to receive it, It had to be preached. That false gospel had to be struck down by a true telling of good news from the only one who could deliver it, the word of God himself in flesh, being and preaching peace for mankind. The very words that Paul is alluding to here in verse 17 when he says, And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and peace to those who are near is prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 57 verse 9. And I'm just going to turn there quickly and read that to you. But in Isaiah 57 verse 9, a passage of scripture that Paul himself would have been very familiar with. It says, You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys afar off and sent down even to Sheol. There's this understanding here that that there's this one who is coming uh, from afar off. And this is not the right verse that I meant to read to you this morning, but that's okay. Isaiah prophesies and he prophesies about one who would come and preach peace to those who were near and those who were far. And in one reason, we, we receive that as being that Isaiah was saying he's going to preach to the Jews who were afar off and the Jews who were near, those who had been scattered abroad and those who were present in Jerusalem. But in the New Covenant, what we begin to understand is that the true Israel are not the Jews who are Jews by blood, but rather the true Israel is the church who are made the people of God by the blood of Jesus. And it is these who Jesus came to preach peace to. Those who are afar off, who are the Gentiles, who are separated from God because they were separated from the covenants of God and the promises, and also to preach peace to those who are near who were a part of that household of faith known as Israel. But listen to how this is done. How did Christ preach peace? Look backwards with me in verse 16. And it says, Might reconcile us us both to God in one body, how? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So how is Christ preaching peace? He's preaching peace through His cross. And through His cross, killing the hostility. Look back again to verse 13, and it goes further. How is, he being, how is this peace being preached? It's being preached, how? By the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For He Himself is our peace. And what has He done? He has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So how is Christ preaching peace? He's preaching it through the cross, by His blood, and in His flesh being broken for sinful humanity. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah multiple times, in Ezekiel again, the prophets will come and the word of the Lord will come through the prophets and God will speak judgment over false prophets who come along and they. it says they preach peace, peace. But the word of God says when there is no peace. We live in a day and a time again where through Facebook posts and blog entries, and sadly, even through the pulpits that are littered across the West today. There are people who will hear and receive a message of peace, peace, but it is divorced from the cross, from the blood of Christ, and from the tearing down of that hostility in his flesh. They will come and they will say, you can have peace with God because God's just not angry anymore. And he wants to be your friend now. And so just come be friends with Jesus. Peace, peace, there's peace. And yes, there can be peace with God. But that peace is received through specific means, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his blood, and through the tearing down of the hostility in his flesh. Because without the blood of Jesus, without the cross of Christ, without his flesh being broken for us, there is no peace. All that remains is still the wrath of a holy God against sin, which will burn For all eternity. And yet, there is a cross-shaped shadow of safety from the wrath of God. The borders within which there is true and lasting peace real shalom, an all-encompassing peace of God, from God, and with God in the cross and in the blood and in the body of Jesus Christ. We spoke last week of the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile that ran around the outside of the temple prohibiting entry to any Gentile. But what we didn't talk about was the next dividing wall. Because while there was one dividing wall that separated the Gentiles from the inner courts of the temple, as you journeyed into the temple, there was another division in the temple. And that division actually kept out those who were near. There was the dividing wall of hostility outside the walls of the temple which kept the Gentiles, those who were afar off, separated from the covenants and promises of God. And as the Jews entered into that place through that wall and entered into a nearer place to the presence of God, they too came to a place that they also could not pass through. And it was the curtain, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, the inner sanctum of the temple where the presence of God abided. And through that curtain, no one could enter except for one time a year. One man, the high priest, would dare to pass through that curtain with a rope tied around his ankle and bells attached to the bottom of his robe so that people could listen outside of the curtain. And as long as they heard the tinkling of the bells, they knew that that man had not been struck dead in the holy presence of God because of the sin in his life, but rather he was still alive. And if that tinkling of the bells stopped and all they heard was a thud, the only thing that they could do is grab that rope and rein in that man's dead body. Because so holy is the presence of God that apart from an atoning sacrifice, no man could enter into that place and live Being in the presence of that God. Because of the sin that separated the presence and peace of God with people. And that man would go in and he would make another sacrifice of atonement for the rest of God's people but it was a sacrifice that would have to be continually offered over and 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 over again. Such that the stench of blood in that place must have been a continual reminder to the people that it was only by blood that anyone could see and know and experience the presence of a holy God. But something happened on that Friday when Jesus was lifted up on that cross. The sky turned black and the earth began to shake as the Son of God, the creator of the universe, died. But when he did, as a full and complete and total wrath-absorbing sacrifice, that curtain that stood in the holy place, that separated the presence of God from the people, was torn supernaturally from top to bottom. A curtain so vast and so thick that today they do, they're not even sure how they could get it up and string it up. It was so big and so thick. And yet, from top to bottom, that curtain was torn. It was ripped in twain. It was ripped in two from top to bottom when Jesus died. And as it was ripped open, because they had to replace that curtain from time to time, but when they did, they had to lift the other curtain in front of the other one so that even in replacing that curtain, they didn't enter into that place and open up access to the presence of God, that curtain was ripped into such that access to the presence of God was opened up through the death of Jesus. And what does this mean? It means that the dividing wall of hostility, not only for those who are far off outside the temple, but also the dividing wall of hostility within the temple was broken. It was torn in two. Both divisions have been broken down by Jesus in his flesh through his death. And by it, he has, as it says in verse 18, opened up access in one spirit. To whom? What does it say? To the Father. Now, why is that profound? Because we've been talking about an inner sanctum of holy residence of God Almighty a place that no sinful man could enter except by the blood. And even so, entering into such a place of reverence and and absolute fear that he would only stay long enough to offer the sacrifice and get out as quickly as he could. But access is opened And it does not say, for through him we both have access in one spirit to this awesome and terrible God. But rather it says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Because when peace was restored through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the right relationship that we were meant to have under God is restored. Such that we did not have to content ourselves with simply being image bearers wandering the earth, strutting to and fro until the brief candle of our life would be blown out like Macbeth might say. But rather, we could enter into the very loving presence of God as our true Father. A Father so wonderful that He would be willing to send His one and only begotten Son to die in our place, to take upon himself our sin and to receive in his flesh the full outpouring of God's wrath on our behalf. This is how Christ preached peace, by coming and being the instrument of peace for us in the cross by his blood and through his flesh. He opened up access in one spirit to the Father. The cross is Jesus' own proclamation of peace and from the cross he himself proclaims it. In John chapter 19... Verse 30, Jesus utters words that should fill our hearts with great peace and rest and assurance. In verse 28 of chapter 19 of John, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, after so many things have already been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, the dividing of his garments, the proclamation of him as being king over the Jews, after Jesus takes care of his earthly mother's earthly provision by sort of handing her off to John. In verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, meaning he died. Now, when Jesus said, It is finished, he wasn't just saying, I'm done, though he was saying that. But the phrase that John records here of Jesus saying is a transactional statement. The word in the original language is to tetelestat. And it literally means paid in full. Paid in full. So he's not just saying, there it is. I did it, I'm done. Let me die. What he's saying is, as we have learned in Ephesians chapter 1, that even as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit conspired, if you will, from before time began to covenant together to redeem a people for themselves, that even as the Father predestined to adopt those whom He had set His affections on before the foundation of the world, and as the Son covenanted to go and accomplish all that was necessary to redeem them, to buy them back, and as the Spirit also covenanted to come and apply that redemption to those people, Jesus hanging on the cross seeing that all was accomplished. Not because He had a checklist that He was running around with in the three years of His ministry making sure He marked everything off. Oh, did I forget anything? Oh, I need to go and do this. Let me do this. But rather because of who He was. Because His identity is Son of God and Son of Man. Because who He was is the fulfillment of all Scripture. In his life, he looks and he sees, I have done all that the Father has required of me. All through the book of John, John is faithful to record over and over and over again, Jesus saying, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't do what I want. I do what my Father tells me. I don't go where I want. I go where my Father tells me. And he will not have his life taken from him, but rather he will give it freely. And then John records Jesus saying, and I will take it up again. For no one had the power to kill the Son of God of their own will but rather Jesus offered himself freely on the cross for sin to satisfy the just demands of a holy God so that those whom God had chosen could be redeemed and saved and find peace of him, from him, and with him. And so Jesus stretches out his hands and he says, to Tetelestai, paid in full, it is finished. And why should that give us so much hope? Because if the price of sin has been paid in full, it means there are no further payments necessary. it means that the continual sacrifice of animals that could never actually remove the stain of sin can be complete, for there is no more blood required. That the blood that was required to remove sin, Jesus shed. That the sweat of effort that was required to remove sin came from the pores of the one who sweated drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, who took upon his back the lashings for our sin, who carried the cross that we deserved such that we, should never have to pick up a cross to pay for sin, but rather, following in the steps of our King, we would pick up our cross of suffering for the sake of the peace, this message of peace that He Himself proclaimed from the cross. Why should this give us such rest and such hope and such peace? Because if Jesus paid it all, then there's nothing left for me to pay, but rather to receive all that he himself has paid for. When your parents sat you down around the Christmas tree and they pulled out gifts and handed them to you. Or when you sat around that birthday cake and blew out those candles and received gifts of love from your family. And after you opened them and you celebrated and you said, this is so wonderful, thank you so much. Did you as a child reach into your back pocket and pull out your wallet and say, so mom and dad, how much did this cost? How many dishes do I have to do to to pay for that? Neither does your Father in heaven require anything of you, except by faith to receive the gift that he has given in his Son, through his cross and by his blood and in his flesh. Simply so that he can see you rejoice in the hope that he, in his love, has provided for you. And that, in and of itself, would be wonderful, but it gets better. Because in his death, Christ purchased our peace. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And he lives today. And that's why we are the looniest people on the planet. And it's why it's so wonderful. Because it's crazy talk to say that we believe that there was a man who died 2,000 years ago and came back to life and still lives today. But that is the confession of our hope and of our faith. And that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Not only that, but in his death, Christ paid for our peace but in his raising we are justified. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says as much to us in the words of the apostle Paul. But the words it was counted to him verse 23 were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us as righteousness who believe in him who raised From the dead, Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. And in chapter 5, if we continue to read, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith faith in what? Faith in his death for our trespasses and his raising for our justification. Because of that, what does it say? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Echoing verse 2, what we've just read this morning in Ephesians 2, 17 and 18, verse number 2 right there of chapter 5, what does it say? Through him we have also obtained what? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope Of the glory of God. The price paid, the blood, life, sacrifice of Jesus was received. And Christ's resurrection is our receipt from God. That when Jesus said, Here, there it is, paid in full, his resurrection is our. assurance that the price offered was received and God's wrath for his children was fully poured out on Christ such that there is nothing left for us so that we can preach peace peace and there is actually peace through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it is a message to be received. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Tito read it for us this morning. When Paul says to this Corinthian church, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the true gospel, not a false teaching, but a true teaching of good news. This message that Paul says they received. Even as Eve stood in the garden and heard a false teaching and she received it into her heart, she believed what the serpent said and so she took of the tree the fruit and she ate. A new and better message is preached. A true good news is preached from the cross of Jesus Christ. A peace can actually be received from God in Christ. And we are invited in the cross of Jesus Christ to also take and eat. But this time not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but rather from the tree of life. Jesus himself being the fruit of that tree. And he invites us even today and every Lord's Day to come and take and eat of that fruit which is his body and is his blood. And so through the cross, Jesus preached peace, a message to be received, a message to stand in, and in a message that we understand ongoingly that we are the redeemed who are being redeemed. And God is, through Christ, sanctifying, perfecting for all time, those who are being sanctified. And he preaches peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. What does that mean for us today? Most of us here today are Gentiles. And in one hand, we could say, well, he he preached peace to all of us who are far off because we're Gentiles. But contextually here today in San Antonio, in Texas, in what some would call the buckle of the Bible belt. It carries with it, I think, a further meaning for us. Because there are those of us here this morning who have grown up apart from this message. That for you today, this might be complete news in every sense of the word. My prayer is that you, by the Holy Spirit, would receive it in your heart, not just as news, but as the best news that you could possibly ever hear, that God, through Christ, paid the price so that you could have peace with Him, which is the one thing that we all long for. It's the one thing that we all know inherently that we don't have in and of ourselves. But sometimes that can cause us to think and to believe that those who have grown up in the church and heard this message for so long, that, that somehow they're closer to God than we are, and it's more for them than it was for us. And this message today, through verse 17, tells us that at the cross of Jesus Christ, there is level ground. And it does not matter how far away you grew up from this message or how close you weren't close enough to be pure in and of yourself, you still need the same blood of Jesus to be applied to your life. And yet there is no one that is so far away from God. And there is nothing in your life that you possibly could have done that discounts your life from also being redeemable. By the blood of Jesus Christ. For the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any sin, and there is no sin that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, paid in full, he was talking about your sin. Every thought, every behavior, every habit of sin, every wicked and evil thing that you have ever done, all of it can be washed clean by faith in Christ alone. For no one is too far away, and still nearness is not enough. There is still a curtain of separation, but now anyone who believes, who's been called by his name, can enter because Jesus has become our curtain. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll close here this morning. Verse 19 says, Because of all this, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, for you, and on your behalf, because of that, the preacher in Hebrews says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us stop there. He who promised is faithful. So the first thing I want to say to you today is simply this. Repent and believe the gospel. Quit hanging on to your sin and cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I say that to sinner and believer alike. Because Jesus did not simply die for our sins once upon a time for us to remember and say, okay, I checked that box. But even for those who are already in Christ, we need to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ each and every day not because we need a fresh payment for our sin, but we need to be reminded that payment has already been made. And every sin that you have ever committed was future tense from the cross of Jesus Christ, which means what? All the sins that you will commit from this day on are covered by the same blood that covered you yesterday and today. And if you are here today, and you have never by faith come to the cross of Jesus Christ and said, I am a sinner, condemned by the wrath of God, by nature, all I want each and every day is sin and sin and more sin, who can save me from this life of sin, I pray that today you would find the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and that you would experience a release of the burden of sin. Even as that great pilgrim Christian came to the cross and found his burden released, that the weight of sin would be released off your shoulders and you would find the freedom that your heart so longs for, which can only be found in Christ Jesus. But it goes on, for it's not enough to come to that cross and receive that freedom, that peace, and to say thanks, Lord, and to walk away and continue along our lives the way that we always once lived. For the preacher goes on and he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you say as you see the day drawing near. So he's saying there should be this change that takes place in us where before all we wanted was sin but now in Christ we go after love. we go after love not only with God but with each other and we don't take our place away from God's people but we, continue to gather with them and to celebrate in this cross and in this blood and in this resurrection of our Lord for us and on our behalf. Verse 26 utters a warning for it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, what does it say? It says there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who had set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? What is... Preacher saying there. He's saying that Christ in his cross has preached peace to those who are near and to those who are far. But if you would stand in the hearing of that proclamation of good news, that you would see it and know that it is true and walk away from it and reject it, that there is no other way that you can find peace except by coming and submitting yourself to it. For there are those who will hear the message of the good news but not receive it in their hearts, thereby living outside the borders of the shadow of the cross and thereby receiving the only just punishment that they deserve, which is the full outpouring of God's wrath for all time. And hell is hot. And eternity is a long time. And I pray today that you would hear the offer of peace in Christ's cross. And come and find it there. So let there be a change. The fruit of the seed of faith planted in your hearts, let it be watered by the tears of repentance and nurtured by hearts of obedient worship to your King and God, this Jesus, who is himself the very peace he preached to us by giving himself for us on the cross, who, who, whom we have received back from God, the Father, resurrected to new life that we too may live in him, for he is the resurrection, and the life. He is our living peace. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? Father, today we bow our heads in prayer and in reverence before you because, God, we need to understand that this morning as we sit and stand today under the praying and the singing and the preaching of your word that we stand in your presence. We stand in the very place that was forbidden for us to enter as Gentiles who are cut off from the promises and the covenants and even as your people who, apart from the blood, could not enter into your most holy place. But God, we we enter today not as those who come with trepidation and fear, but rather as those who have been invited as dearly loved sons and daughters, whose relationship with their father has been and can be restored fully and completely through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection for our justification. And while God, it can be a fearful thing to stand in the presence of a living God. And though we may quake and tremble, I pray that your cross would give us confidence to boldly enter and to embrace you and be embraced by you as our Father. For your word says that as many as have received your Son, to them you gave the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Make in this place your children today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.